All right. Let's get rolling. It's all right. I got nowhere to be. We we can do this all day. No big deal. They don't even listen to me. Look at this. It's like I'm not even here. It's like I'm invisible. And I know if you were up here, everybody would be like, oh, we want to hear what he has to say, except for Paul. <laughs> yeah, I know. I might have to do what they do in kindergarten, flash the lights or whatever. And Yeah, there you go. Man, apparently y'all don't want to go home today, which is cool with me because I'll be here for a while. Like, I'll hang out with you. It's great. So let's pick up where we left off. Now, we were heading into these meetings, as you guys well know, and the reason we've been doing this series when we have is getting an understanding of what it means to be in his image because if you recognize what it truly means to be in his image then you'll recognize exactly what Corey is going to be talking about here in the weeks to come and as we began to transition this a little bit as we got into the spiritual warfare aspect of it getting an understanding of who God is, is crucial and the understanding who I am in relationship with him and then also in this part who my enemy is knowing what the battle is and with whom Because when you recognize that, you'll start to recognize the signs of the enemy attacking. And it's crucial that you do that. Because in America and the church, we have associated with good things happening being from God and bad things happening being from the enemy. It's the only way we put it. Okay? Now, when Jesus told Ananias that Paul must understand all the things he will suffer for my namesake, the American Christian who would have gone through the beatings and trials of Paul would have done what? rebuked it all. But there was a purpose for it. There was a reason for all of it. So anytime we get what we want, we're like, oh, thank you, Jesus, you're so good. But what if what we want is not from God, but from the enemy, and it draws us away from him? You see, that's the thing. The temptation of the enemy is not simply to get us to sin. It, the sin will get you to draw away from God. When we think of sin, we think of big sins, bad, you know, somebody, adultery or, or anything like that. But that is extreme. There's a lot of little things that you may or may not call sins, and you could argue about the semantics behind it, but there are things that draw us away. I mean, think about the the world we live in. You've heard people use that football is an idol, okay? Well, in order for it to be an idol, it had to have been carved. You have to sacrifice to it. And bow down before it. And there's nobody that's doing that. But we could all agree that it is a distraction. Okay? It's becoming less of a distraction for us Nebraska fans. Because we don't want to watch it no more. But aside from that. But what can happen? It will consume your entire life. You'll see that with young people in video games. Right? They're consumed with it. I'll never forget this as long as I live. There was a, many, many years ago. A grown man in his early 30s came up to me one day. Big football fan. He's a Kansas Jayhawks fan, so you know he's not right in the head. But aside from that. But he comes up to me, and he's telling me about the game and the ending of this game. And it was incredible. He's giving me all of these details. And I watched, at least at that time, a fair amount of football on Saturdays. That was what my life existed around, was watching football on Saturdays. So I usually caught a lot of what was happening, and I missed this entire thing. And I'm thinking, how did this one escape me? Well, after 10 minutes or so of this conversation, it dawns on me, he's talking about the game he played on his Xbox. I'd have sworn this was real life, the way he talked about it. And went on and on. This is an adult male. This is not a 15-year-old kid. You kind of expect that. But his, which he was just consumed. Well, is that a sin? Not necessarily. But is it something that would be drawing him away and consuming his life? Of course. You see, we begin to recognize the signs. That's the key to all of the stuff we're talking about. And that's no different today. Isaiah 59 verse 2, it says, Your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. Now I realize this is an old covenant uh, um, prophecy, if you will, or a statement by Isaiah, but there is a principle behind this. It's that the sin itself does not affect our relationship with God. Because the covenant was still in force. They were outside of it. All they had to do was repent to come back in. For you and I, we can't just walk out of that covenant, like sin our way out of it, so to speak. 
but the relationship aspect will be severed at least for a time. And if that happens, what happens? We don't care anymore. We're not chasing the Lord. We see that Adam and Eve, they were drawn away from God. Jesus attempting to tempt him to draw people away from God. We see that all the false prophets and the false teachers, what were they doing? They were intentional. They were sent into the church to mislead. And they were to draw people away from God. False doctrine. All of these heresies that came out. I mean, if you guys go back and read the writings of the first century, and I know many of you do, like it's a good pastime for y'all. But you go read some of the stuff that was going on, you're thinking, oh my gosh, these people were out of their ever-loving mind. We're talking decades apart from the actual Christ living on earth, where we are millennia away. They were decades away, and they were already screwed up. And then if you compare the heresies of that time to the heresies of this time, they happen to overlap quite a bit, because there is nothing new under the sun. So you've got to begin to recognize that all of this was done to draw the people of God away from God. Because if He can draw you away, what happens? You produce no fruit. If you ask a person, what is the purpose of becoming a Christian, what will they say? To go to heaven. Is that what Jesus said? That is not what Jesus said. But that's our whole focus, is individualized eternity. Heaven is the byproduct. We're eternal with God. The purpose on this earth is to do what? Make disciples. To know Him and make Him known. That's the whole world that we live in. How are we doing? Not great. Why? Because we're all raised in basically the same church structure. It's internalized. It's about me. It's about my relationship with God. We are a reservoir. And not a river. So we see that in the soils in Mark chapter 4, Luke chapter 8, Matthew chapter 13. You have two soil types. The temptation, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the pleasures of life. Keep you from producing fruit. It's very easy to fall in this. You'll see people in their younger days as they come out of high school, or they come out of college. What are their thoughts on? Well, you never have enough money at that age. You're obsessed with it. You picking a career field, well, what's the number one marker that you're looking for? How much money can I make? Well, why do I want to make all this money? What am I going to do with it? I want nice cars, nice houses, boats. I want vacation. I want to do all that stuff. What have we done? We've made it once again about us. How many teenagers have you met as they're getting ready to graduate high school and says, man, I want to go and become a doctor because I want to help people. It's like, well, you're going to make a lot of money as dark. Yep, and that's because I want to be able to use that money so that I can help fund missions all around the world. You ever met that teenager? Me neither. I want to be a lawyer. Why? Because I want to help fund missions all the way around the world, and I'll know be able to do it, and I'll be able to take that skill set and use that for the kingdom. We're not taught like that. We had a girl that worked for us this summer who is going to be a dermatologist, worked for us at Tropical Snow. And I asked her, I thought that was kind of odd, and I said, I said, what makes you want to be a dermatologist? Because if you've seen Dr. Pimple Popper, seems like the greatest job ever, okay? I said, what was it? Was it that? And she's like, no. You ever seen how much a dermatologist makes? And I said, well, at least you're honest. Most of them are like, oh, I just love popping zits. No, she wants to make some money. I respect your honesty. You know, so this is the thing. This is what we're doing. This is the deceitfulness of riches, and it goes beyond that. We'll get into that later. You see, all of these things are to draw us away. Balaam, a prophet for hire. The deceitfulness of riches kept him from being a true prophet of God, serving God, and he taught Balak how to tempt the people so that he could get God's hand off of them and he could attack them. Couldn't curse them. False teachers, false prophets, the temptations by Satan, they're all to get you off track from serving God. Every single one of them. As I showed you guys last week, from the very beginning, Satan, the enemy, however you want to phrase it, has been out trying to do this. In Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 14, it says, You were the anointed cherub who covers, I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God, you walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. I destroyed you, a covering chair, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for, your, uh, for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. 
by the abundance of your trading. As I explained last week, that this is something where if you are a steward of a resource that belongs to somebody else and you keep a portion of it from them for yourself, that is the abundance of trading. I use a car analogy or whatever, but essentially it is believed that he was the worship leader. It was based on the instruments. Again, we're speculating a little bit on that, but it seems as if because of his beauty, he thought of himself more highly than he ought. And there seems to be something about man because it wasn't simply tempting other created beings. It was tempting man to separate themselves from God. Did God really say that? No. He knows that you don't have it. He doesn't want you to have it. So he tempts them by that. He gets cast out this abundance of trading. But it goes beyond that. Because what I want to begin to show you guys this week, and I will expand upon it, is that it wasn't simply about getting us to fall. But he's also seeking, when he was seeking the worship that belonged to God, what is he really wanting? Worship for himself. What did he tell Jesus? If you will fall down and worship me, I will give you everything you see here. Now, Jesus was going to take it by force. But that was the thing. He's embodying worship. He has sought to make himself like the Most High. Go read Isaiah 14. When you start getting all of this, you start to see how they all interlock, and you start to recognize the signs. You see, the worship of Satan is all around us. It's in every facet of our lives and we don't know it it has crept into the church now i know what you're thinking you're like okay satan worship i don't know anybody who goes out in the woods draws a pentagram and sacrifices a goat and you'd probably be right although you may know people i know that sounds crazy okay but i know of real world things happening that that very thing happens as an example there's a there's a city called independence kansas Okay? A friend of mine used to pastor a church down there. Town of approximately 10,000 people. Not, not huge, a little bit bigger than Nebraska City. And they have a big festival every year called Niawala. Okay? Which is Halloween spelled backwards. That's what it is. Huge festival. People from all over the country come into this little town. And it's a carnival and it's fun. And I mean, it is fun. There's cotton candy, funnel cakes. You can hardly go wrong with those types of things. But it also brought in witches from all over the world and they would tell stories that as people would go through because shortly after that event what comes in deer season and they would find things carved into trees they would find remnants of animals they would find pentagrams burned into the ground and other different things and i know that sounds extreme but y'all that's just a few hours from us that's not very far there was somebody in the school here a few years ago that was handing out cards with pentagrams on it because they believed that it was a blessing, Wicca and all that kind of stuff. And the school here, it's not uncommon. It's around us. It, it, it's, it's in our lives, whether we want to admit it or not. And I'm going to begin to show you that, but I want to show you the basis of this. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 31, it says, Give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them, to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Now, here's the thing. What is the commandment here? There are dozens and dozens of verses like this. I'm going to show you a few more, but just understand. What is the commandment? Give no regard, which means don't go to them. To a medium and familiar spirits. Familiar spirits are like familial, like family spirits, people, they're, they're spirits that they are familiar with is similar to that. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. So this implies not to just, you know, don't read your daily horoscope, but there was something about this. Did he once ever imply, like, listen, don't worry about those. They're just crazy. They're just making stuff up. Never once. See, there are a lot of commandments that you and I, when we read them, we're like, that stuff doesn't really happen. It's all fake and all of that. That's not what's implied here. Let's keep going. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 20, verse 1. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Again, you shall say to the children of Israel, Whoever of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell in Israel, who gives any of his descendants to Moloch, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I will set my face against that man, 
and will cut him off from his people because he has given some of his descendants to Moloch to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. And if the people of the land should in any way hide their eyes from the man when he gives some of his descendants to Moloch and they do not kill him, then I will set my face against that man and against his family and I will cut him off from his people and all who prostitute themselves with him to commit harlotry with Moloch. And the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people. So this is very specific. But let's break this down. It says, who gives any of his descendants to Moloch. Seems to be a bad idea. But what does that mean? Have you ever dedicated your child to God? Many of us have. We do a dedication ceremony. We see that in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We see that with, uh, was it uh, Eli? Who was the prophet? One of the moms. I'm just slipping my mind. Samuel. I think it was Samuel. Yeah. Mom said, hey, if you give me a son, I will dedicate him to your service. That's not what this is talking about. To give a descendant to Moloch means to sacrifice that descendant to Moloch. And we'll look at who Moloch is here in a little while. Then it says, all who, or, or he has given some of his sins to Moloch and to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. Now, what sanctuary is he referencing? This isn't hyperbole. The sanctuary is the inner court. It is the most holy place where the presence of God is. Well, how could he do that? Moloch's not in there. How can you defile my sanctuary? Well, as you will see, this is prophetic, so to speak, in times to come. They set up idols in the temple. Let's go on. Then you see all who prostitute themselves with him to commit harlotry with Moloch. Well, how does one commit harlotry with Moloch? You may be simply thinking, well, to commit harlotry is you're married as a bride of Christ, so to speak. The nation of Israel was married to him as you, I was a husband to you. And therefore, if they go after other gods, it's committing harlotry. And you'd be partially correct. But it is literally committing harlotry because there were temple prostitutes, both male and female. And they were committing sexual sin as a part of the worship. And some of these children that would be birthed out of those sexual sins were used to do what? Sacrifice to Moloch. Now you may be thinking like, man, I'm so glad we don't live in times like that. I got news for you. It's happening today and it's happening in America. We have to open our eyes. And it says the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them. Why does it say that? The exact same reason. See, a medium is a go-between. That's all it is. It's Jesus is a, so to speak, medium between the Father and us. Okay? A medium is a go-between. It is somebody who had an ability to go into the supernatural realm and to bring back something of substance. You see, you may think about as you're driving by and it says psychic reading for $5. Get your palm read for $5. It's just innocent. These people are crazy and all of that. Some of that may be true, but not all of it. Let's go on. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 18. Verse 9. It says, When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you. What land? The promised land. So Moses is talking here. When you come into the land, the promise of God, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. Okay? Pretty abundantly clear. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire. We'll come back to that. Or one who practices witchcraft. Or a soothsayer. Or one who interprets omens. Or a sorcerer. Or one who conjures spells. Or a medium. Or a spiritist. Or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you will dispossess listened to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. So, who is he addressing? 
you may think that a soothsayer or a person who interprets omens or a sorcerer or whatever is just kind of your average Joe, and maybe they're perhaps in Wicca or whatever else they may be. But these are people for hire, professional fortune tellers. These were people who were contacting the supernatural realm. Now, what does it say? You shall not learn to follow the abomination of those nations. That does not mean that it can't be done. You see, that's kind of what we believe and what we've been taught to believe. That that stuff out there is just kind of wacky. You really can't do that. But they learned it. It's kind of like when you think about if you study like uh, uh, Greek history and things like that, all of these crazy things that they were drawing, these different gods that they had that, you know, half man, half goat and all this other stuff. Where did they get these ideas? Did they just pull them out of thin air or was there something to it? Because remember, at one point we didn't believe in the giant squid. We thought the Kraken was a myth until we found one. Now, I'm not saying half man and half goat is the norm. I'm saying it's not impossible based off of Genesis 6. Because if angels can come down and take a bride from the earth and make giant babies, what else is possible? There's also writings that are out there from the time periods that talks about how these Nephilim were putting themselves up against one another sexually as well as the animals and creating offspring. So Lord knows how wacky it was out there. We do not need Disney to make us weird movies. We got plenty of that stuff on our own. But we have whitewashed all of this so we don't think that way. But if we're going to think biblically, we have to say it's at least possible. These were not crazy people. They were highly educated. These mediums, these sorcerers, these omens, all of this stuff, these were not people that are just out there making stuff up. There was something to it. When Moses went down and threw his staff down and it turned into a snake, what did the magicians do? The same thing. Was it sleight of hand? Hey, look over here. Ta-da. It doesn't imply that. Is it possible at least that maybe by the power of Satan they could do this? You see, what you need to understand, you have God who is all-powerful. And you have every created being that has different levels of power. Satan included. I told you last week when Michael and Satan wrestled over the body of Moses and kind of explained what was going on there. Like, there's power there. What there's not is authority. That is where the name above all names, that is where we live. Being powerful and having authority are not one and the same. I was thinking about this as I was walking from the Husker game very early yesterday. As I was walking back to my car about middle of the third quarter I'd had enough I think the players wanted to go with me but as I'm walking I see this tiny little female officer standing out in traffic holding her hand up against a jacked up f-350 pickup this thing I mean you'd have had to have a ladder to climb in this thing and it stopped now she did not have the power to stop that thing but she did have the authority you ain't going to mess with her. So there's all of this stuff that we've kind of not understanding. This supernatural world, these people seeking the supernatural and implying that they're hearing from the other side may be telling the truth. It said, do not learn these things. It didn't say, if it was not possible, don't you think God would say, just get rid of them, you'll be fine. Just think about it. So let's go back to passing through the fire. What does that mean? It literally means that they were sacrificing their children and one another. Passing through the fire. They would kill their kids as sacrifice to these gods for whatever it was that they were looking for. You had sorcery. They would use potions. They would have figurines. They'd have uh, curses. They would do omens. Would literally be reading the entrails of the animals that were being sacrificed or the people that were being sacrificed, primarily the liver. You had witchcraft who did spells and curses and they would make potions for a price and they would do all of these things. They had uh, the different mediums and the spiritists. What they were doing is they were circumventing Yahweh to gain knowledge and power from the spirits. So, folks, I know that's crazy and you may be thinking, well, none of that's possible, none of that's real. It was real, it was possible, it still exists. 
that's the part you've got to wrap your head around. It's around you. You're being influenced. And even some of this has crept into the church today. So we have to be careful. Now, there is also something called calling up the dead. Also reference would be consulting the dead. But there was ancestor worship that would be going on. And they would make sacrifices and have offerings made to the spirits of the dead. They would pray to the dead. There were times they would light candles to the dead. Does that sound like anything maybe that you've known? Some of you may have grown up around some of that. Yeah, where do you think that came from? All of this stuff is, is real. There's a reason that all of it exists. But how we handle it and what we do with it is what matters. Now let's look at Second Chronicles chapter 33. I want to show you something. Verse 1. 2 Chronicles chapter 33, verse 1. It says, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. Can you imagine a 12-year-old becoming king? I have a 12-year-old sitting right there. He's playing games on his phone, it looks like. Oh, he's looking up the Bible. Good for him. All right, I'll give him some credit. Could you imagine this kid being king over you? We can't get him to brush his teeth and change his underwear. I can't even imagine a 12-year-old being king. So Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. He reigned for 55 years in Jerusalem, but he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations. Now what was the warning? Do not do that. Don't learn that. Whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel, for he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had broken down. He raised up altars for Baals and made wooden images, and he worshipped all the hosts of heaven, and he served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord has said, In Jerusalem shall be my name, uh, shall my name be forever. Now, what did we read about? In my holy place, in my sanctuary. This is an example of that. So it was a precursor. High places were places around, not just mountains or whatever. High place was an altar which sacrifice was made. Okay? They were to tear those down. He raised up altars for the Baals, as I showed you, and he created wooden images. What were the Baals? Baals and the Asherah. There was a sexual, it was a fertility thing. They would sacrifice children to them. It was a fertility thing. Those who open up the womb, the firstborn, they would sacrifice. Does that principle sound familiar? Where do you think they got this idea? Okay? So a lot of that. Built altars in the house of the Lord. This is a big no-no. There's the abomination of desolation that took place and will take place again at some point. But this is an example of that. Verse 5, he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Well, what are the two courts? The inner court and the outer court, which meant you couldn't even go to the outer court where most of the business was conducted without being affected by what was taking place here. So think about what we read in Revelation 2 in Pergamos where the Nicolaitans say, it's okay, you can just go, you can do all that. No, this was all around them. You could not get away from it. So he built altars for all the host of heaven. Now what is the host of heaven? You may be thinking the sun, the moon, and the stars. I'm going to show you shortly that that's not what it's talking about. The host of heaven are the principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age in the heavenly places. You'll see that momentarily. He caused his sons to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Passing through the fire means what? His sons he sacrificed. He practiced soothsaying used witchcraft and sorcery and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He even set a carved image, the idol which he had made, in the house of God, of which God had said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. I mean, this is bad. Manasseh was a bad king. This is bad. But you've got to understand, if you were a Jewish person and you wanted to serve God, could you go to the temple? You'd be defiled, right? Think clean and unclean. There was no clean in the temple. How can you worship God? How can you sacrifice to God to do the things you're supposed to do? It's nearly impossible because you can have no association with anything that's happening here. And because the king was doing, what, what do you think happened? Most of the people followed suit. That means that there were temple prostitutes in the temple of God. 
And you know that's true if you've read the Old Testament. You see those examples. Like, we need to wrap our head around what was happening. But this isn't just for a learning exercise. Like, boy, it was bad back then. You need to know that that is happening now. It's happening today. It's happening all around you. You are being influenced by the outer darkness images and the things that are happening through media, through music, movies, social media. People around you are in stuff. This is not just nicety. What did God tell them to do? Have nothing to associate with them. Let's look at another example, 2 Kings chapter 22. Now this is a good one. 2 Kings chapter 22, we're going to read for a bit. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. They must like him young. Eight years old. Can you imagine? He reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidiah and the daughter of Adiah of Bosca. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father's David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Now, let's go on. Verse 3. It came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king of Shephon, the scribe's son, Azaliah, the son of Meshullam, at the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people, and let them deliver it into the hand of those doing the work, who are the overseers in the house of the Lord. Let them give to it, or give it to those who are in the house of the Lord doing the work, to repair the damages of the house, to carpenters and the builders and masons, to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. However, there need, there need be no accounting made with them of the money delivered into their hand because they deal faithfully. So in other words, they need to do some repairs. The whole backstory they were not going to get into. But he said, don't even worry about accounting for it. These people are good. They've proved themselves faithful. Give them what they need in order to fix the house of the Lord, the temple. So verse 8, Then Helkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Helkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. So Shaphan the scribe went to the king, bringing the king word, saying, you, or Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of those who do the work and who oversee the house of the Lord. That was the mandate. He's letting him know, Hey, we have accomplished what you have asked us to do. Then Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the, high, or the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law, that he tore his clothes. Now, we're in the 18th year. He's been reigning for 10 years. This is probably the very first time that he or anyone associated with it had heard the words of the book of the law. What is the book of the law? First five books. That's the book of the law. What does he do? He tears his clothes. That is a sign of mourning. Why did he tear his clothes? We have not been doing any of this. We have missed this. Was it his fault that he didn't know any of this? Technically, no. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, the priest, Ahakam, uh, the son of Shaphan, Akbor, the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan, the scribe, and Isaiah, the servant of the king, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So he recognizes we got a problem. And God does exactly what he's going to do. Verse 14, So Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, Akbor, Shaphan, Asiah, went to Hulda the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikva, the son of Harhas, a keeper of the wardrobe. Uh, she dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke with her. Then she said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants, all the words of the book which the king of Ju Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be aroused against the place and shall not be quenched. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you should speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse. You tore your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely, therefore, I will gather... Uh, you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place so they brought back word to the king so this is good He's, the Lord is speaking to him go to chapter 23 verse 1 
Now the king sent them to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and with him all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in the hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the house of the Lord. The king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. And all the people took a stand for the covenant. And the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, and the priests of the second order, and the doorkeepers, to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the articles that were made for Baal, for Asherah, for all the host of heaven. There's that term again. Baal, Asherah, host of heaven. You notice how those three are connected. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. Then he removed the idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense on the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places all around Jerusalem and those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the constellations, that's all three, and to all the host of heaven. Can you see how the host of heaven is not the sun, moon, and stars? He brought out the wooden image from the house of the Lord to the brook Kedron outside Jerusalem, burned it at the book, uh, brook Kedron and ground it to ashes and threw its ashes on the graves of the common people. Then he tore down the ritual booths of the perverted persons that were in the house of the Lord where the women wove hangings for the wooden image. Now, perverted persons, you probably have something that comes to mind. But this is what the perverted persons were. It was the sodomites. As a part of the worship, it was homosexual intercourse that was going on. What did he do? Drug him out. He tore down the ritual booths of the perverted. They would go into the temple and the other parts of the city to do that. This was serious. They had to get this stuff out, all of it. He brought, verse 8, all the priests from the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba. He also, he broke down the high places at the gates, which were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were to the left of the city gate. Nevertheless, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brethren. And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or daughter pass through the fire to Moloch. Then he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun at the entrance of the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Melech, the officer who was in the court. And he burned the chariots of the sun with fire, the altars that were on the roof, the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah has made, and the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord. The king broke down and pulverized there and threw their dust into the brook of Kedron. Then the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem, which were on the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtaroth, the abomination of the Sidonians, for Shemash, the abomination of the Moabites, and for Milcom, the abomination of the people of Ammon. Now, why did he have all three of these different people groups and these three different gods? Because he took brides from all three of these different people groups. He wasn't supposed to. He broke in pieces the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images and filled their places with the bones of men. So do you think he was taking this pretty seriously? He's going to great effort to eliminate this from their world. Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel and the high places which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, had made both that altar and the high place he broke down and he burned the high place and he crushed it to powder and he burned the woman, uh, wooden image. And Josiah turned and he saw that the tombs were on the mountain and he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord which the man of God proclaimed who proclaimed these words. And he said, what gravestone is that that I see? So the man of the city told him, it is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed these things which you have done against the altar of Bethel. He said, let him alone. Let no one move his bones. So they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who came from Samaria. Now Josiah also took away all the shrines of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to anger. And he did to them according to all the deeds he had done in Bethel. He executed the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned men's bones on them. And he returned to Jerusalem. Then the king commanded all the people, saying, Keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in the book of the covenant. Such a Passover surely had never been held since the days of the, of ju- of the judges who judge Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. 
But in the 18th year, the king Josiah, uh, this Passover was held before the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah put away those who consulted medium and spiritists, the household gods and idols, all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and Jerusalem, that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book of Hilkiah, the priest found in the house of the Lord. Now before him there was no king like him, who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. Thank God for eight-year-olds. I mean, think about this, guys. Most of us, if we'd have found something like that going on, we'd have just kind of got a, gotten rid of it. But he's like, no, we are just, we are pulverizing it. We are eliminating. He eliminated not only the stuff, but the people that were associating with it. Now, don't think of that as harsh because these people were not likely willing to repent. We don't know if they were given the opportunity, but he is eliminated because they were being defiled as a nation as a result of this. The worship to these false gods was real. The encounters with the supernatural world was real. Let me show you. I think I got a picture of Moloch here. I just want to show you guys this so you catch that. You put that up. I probably have this not in the correct order. But you can see when it talks about passing through the fire. They would place, this is one idol. You see the fire. They would place the child in the hands and it would roll as it heated up because it was basically cooking the child alive. And the drummers would sit off and as the child would start screaming, they start banging the drums louder and louder to drown out the sound. You see in this one, this is another example, you see these different things. One of these, they would put a child in and there might be a goat there and a lamb there and something else. They would sacrifice multiple things all at once. There was multiple versions of this. And you're, we sit here and we shake our heads like, oh, thank God none of that still exists. Y'all, it still exists. It's around us. We're being influenced by the supernatural for the negative. The occult is around your children's TV shows. The musicians you let them listen to are influenced by this. What did Josiah do? Get rid of the influence. But it's just a song. It's just a movie. It's just a video game. It's no big deal. It's a big deal to God. Because millimeter by millimeter, it will draw you away from producing fruit. Imagine if you were standing before Jesus and He said, hey, I gave my life for you. You can spend eternity with me. It's like, yeah, thank you. But I really like that movie. I really like that song. We would never do that. But we do it. Let me give you another example of this because I want you to see something here. I want you to go to 1 Samuel chapter 28. Now, this is something that has been hotly debated for years and years and years of what is going on here, but it's also a very familiar passage. It's the Witch of Endor. It's a story about that where Saul, Samuel dies. Saul's getting ready to go to war. He doesn't know what to do. God had already removed his hand from him, and Saul, out of desperation, goes to see this witch in order to call Samuel up so Samuel can tell him what he's supposed to do and what's going to happen. Now, the witches in Saul's early reign, had he'd gotten rid of them all. It was against the law, punishable by death. Now, they were still around or he wouldn't be able to go talk to this one. But I want to show you something that is going on here so you catch a reference. 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 1. I promise I'm almost done. Now, it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Akash uh, said to David, you assuredly know that you will go out with me to battle you and your men. So David said to Akish, surely you know what your servant can do. And Akish said to David, therefore, I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. Verse 3, now Samuel had died, and all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah, in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. So you can see exactly what I was talking about. The Philistines gathered together and came and encamped in Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. I'm not going to talk about Urim and Thummim. We'll talk about that another day. Then Saul said to the servants, Find me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. So what's he looking for? He doesn't have a natural answer. He's looking for a supernatural answer. And his servant said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes. And he went and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, Please conduct a seance for me and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. Then the woman said to him, Look, 
you know that Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? Remember, he's dressed up. She doesn't recognize him. And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. Then the woman saw Samuel. She cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. He said, what is, her, what is his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Now Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me. And God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have called you, that you may reveal to me what I shall do. And Samuel said, so why do you ask me, saying the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? And the, Lord, uh, and the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your son shall be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Now as you read this, most commentators will read this and say, Okay, they called up Samuel, but it wasn't really Samuel. Maybe your translation of the Bible even say it was a familiar spirit. It's one that's impersonating Samuel, but it's not really Samuel because he's dead and you can't call back the spirits of the dead. Is that what Scripture says? No. It says, don't do it. This is called necromancy. Either praying to the dead or calling up the dead. Now, the witch was shocked. Why was she shocked? We don't know. Because it worked this time where most of the time it didn't? We don't know. But she was surprised. But it seems to imply that the spirit that came up was Samuel. Now that's at least possible because as we know from what we read in the New Testament later that they were in a holding place called Abraham's bosom. At least possible. Is that still possible today? I don't have any earthly idea. I don't intend to find out. It says don't do it. Doesn't have to, you don't have to tell me a whole lot more. I'm just not going to do it. But I want you to see something. When it talks about, find me a woman who is a medium in verse 7, it's a little bit different in the Young Living translation. Verse 7, And Saul said to his servants, Seek for me a woman possessing a familiar spirit. And I go unto her and inquire of her. And his servants say unto him, Lo, a woman possessing a familiar spirit in Endor. Now when we hear that, we're thinking, okay, well she's demonically possessed. That's not actually what it's talking about. The Hebrew word here is the word oblob, O-B-L-O-V. It actually means ghost pit. And what it was is that he's looking for a woman possessing a ghost pit. How do we know this for sure? This is where archaeology confirming scripture comes in handy. Because all around Philistine and parts of Jerusalem, they have found these ghost pits. They would dig a hole. It would have to be a special prescribed sacred pagan site. You find Hittite texts that talk about the same thing and what they would do. These people would dig these holes and they were frequently used in necromancy to summon up the ghost of the dead. And the spirits would be coming out of these ghost pits and they had voices that would sound like chirping birds. Okay? Now, where did she say she saw Samuel? Coming out of the ground. So it at least lines up from that vantage point. But look at this other one. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Isn't that interesting? He talks about chirping. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 4. You shall be brought down. You shall speak out of the ground. Your speech shall be low out of the dust. Your voice shall be like a medium's out of the ground. Your speech shall whisper out of the dust. 
So you can see this idea of calling them up. They have found these archaeologically, and so you can see how that kind of helps us understand the passage of what's going on. They would sacrifice animals. They would sacrifice a black goat sometimes over these to call these pits up. If you, as you guys, I've told you a little bit about Mormonism and Joseph Smith. He was a treasure hunter. And what he would do is you would hire him because he would look in his hat and he had the seer stone and he would go around and they'd find the place and they would draw a circle around. They would sacrifice a blood, uh, a goat and use that blood to draw that circle. And then they would start to dig. Of course, they never found treasure because he was a fraud. But he was into occult practices. There was a whole lot of stuff that's going on there. This is real. We also see this, kind of, this whole thing in uh, Homer's The Odyssey. You guys remember having to read that when you were in high school? And you promise yourself, I'm never reading this again? Did anybody hold true to that promise? Am I the only one? Okay, good, good. Well, there's something in here that if you were just reading it, you wouldn't catch. But when you have a biblical worldview, you start thinking what's going on at the time. Watch this. So here it is, Homer's Odyssey. When you have reached the spot which I told you about, dig a pit in the ground, a cubit or so in length, breadth and depth, and pour into it drink offerings to all the dead. What are we talking about? Necromancy. First pour in honey mixed with milk, then wine, and the third place water. After that, sprinkle barley meal over the hole. Moreover, you must offer many prayers to the poor, feeble ghost and promise them that when you return to Ithaca, you will offer as a burnt sacrifice to them a heifer, cow, the best of your herd, one that has not had a calf. So you have the first and the best. Does that sound familiar? And it says ghost. Now, don't be alarmed by that because remember, what did Jesus do at the moment of his death? He gave up the ghost. Just talking about your spirit. Okay, we think of ghosts, we think of movies and weird stuff. Don't think of it like that. And you, also, you will also promise to pile other good things in the pyre as burnt offerings. More particularly, you must promise that Teresius uh, shall have a black sheep all to himself, the finest of all your flock. Looking for the best again. Does that sound familiar? When you have thus beseeched the ghosts with your prayers, offer them a ram and a black ewe. When you sacrifice them, you are to bend their heads toward Arebus while cutting their throats, but you must turn your head away from them towards the river. When you do this, the ghost of many dead men will come to you. You must tell your men to skin the two sheep that you have just killed and offer them as burnt sacrifice with prayers to Hades, the god of hell, and to Prosper, uh, Proserpine, his wife. Then draw your sword and place it there to prevent any other ghost from coming near the split blo- uh, spilt blood until Teresias has answered your question. The seer, Teresias, will presently come to you and will tell you about the voyage, your voyage, which you are to do, and how you are to reach your home. Now, this is from a translation from the 1900. Now, that sounds bizarre, but does that sound identical to what I was just telling you that biblically they were doing? Absolutely. What were they looking for? If you read the rest of the story, they're getting ready to go on this voyage. They're trying to figure out what's going to happen and what they're supposed to do. They reach out to the seer who is dead to call up his spirit, and they go to all the sacrifices, more specifically. Now, I know what you're thinking. This is crazy, and this stuff doesn't happen anymore. I'm telling you it does, and we should expect it. Now, very quickly, let's jump into the New Testament. I know I'm going long, but I've got to lay this foundation, or otherwise next week we'll be doing this all over again. Acts chapter 7, verse 37. This is Stephen laying the wood to the Pharisees getting ready to stone him. He's letting them have it. This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness that the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give us, whom our fathers would not obey but rejected. And in their hearts they turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make us gods to go before us as for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt. We do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf and in those days offered sacrifices to the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. And God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven what host not the sun moon and stars as it is written in the book of the prophets did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness O house of israel you also took the tabernacle of moloch and the star of your god remphan images which you made to worship and i will carry you away beyond babylon so they built the bull called apis it was a uh, uh, an agricultural god and they made sacrifices to it and he turns them over to the worship of the host of heaven and you got the tabernacle of moses and you got all the or excuse me moloch and all this other stuff but look in galatians chapter 5 verse 19 we're not going to read all of this i just want you to see this now the works of the flesh are evident which are adultery fornication uncleanness lewdness idolatry and sorcery and then you've got hatred contention jealousy etc etc all stuff that we'd accept but idolatry who really bows down to idols 
sorcery? Who really is doing magic incantations? Well, the people during uh, the time of the writing of the Galatians were. Now, this is first century. You're thinking, okay, well, that's them. That's not us. And you may be right. But this is listening to the same thing as, you know, don't have any fornication or adultery or lewdness. Or her- you see how it's all lumped in there. What if we turn idolatry into? Uh, don't worship football. Nobody worships football. I shouldn't say that. Somebody probably does. Go to Acts chapter 19. Start in verse 11. Look at this. I'm almost done, I promise. Now God worked unusual uh, miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, this means traveling exorcists that are Jews. That's what itinerant Jewish exorcists mean. They traveled around, they cast out demons. They took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? Jump down to verse 16. Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against him, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known both to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. Now where is Ephesus? Well, it was the first letter to the first church in Revelation chapter 2, which we have been addressing for the last few weeks. So now you can see what's going on here. There was demon-possessed people in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified, and many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Now, 50,000 pieces of silver, that's a good day. They say that's 380 years worth of wages. Doing okay. Doing okay. They burned them. Why did they not sell them? That money could have been used to promote the gospel. No, they burned them. They did what Josiah did. They wiped it out of their lives. We want nothing to do with this. Now, you may be thinking, okay, that's then. That's not us. We don't see that kind of stuff today. Yeah, maybe in a third world country and stuff like that. There was a time in America with the Native Americans and all that. They probably did that stuff. None of that happens today. There might be isolated parts of the world, but for the most part, it doesn't happen. Well, let's go to the book of Revelation. We'll go to chapter 21. Start in verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. So where are we in the, in the story? Old heaven, old earth, gone, new heaven, new earth. This is where we spend eternity, right? Okay. Then I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there should be no more death or sorrow or crying. There should be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write these, for these words are true and faithful. And he said, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, he's talking about wiping out these things at that time. Does that not seem to imply that they will be going on for all of human history? Does that mean they're going on today and will be going on tomorrow? And if he doesn't come back for 100 years, will they be going on then? Is it possibly going on around you right now? Is it possible that your neighbors are involved in this? Is it possible that you're being influenced by this and you don't even know it? It's at least possible. Look at one more, chapter 22. Verse 12, and behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha Omega, the beginning, the end, the first, and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the trees of life and may enter through the gates of the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. That seems to imply that those people will still be existing at that point. What is a dog? It's not the animals. Okay? Your dogs, I don't know if they make heaven. You can ask Jesus when you get there. Because some of you will stone me if I say they don't. So we'll just leave it in neutral. A dog is a, um, a temple prostitute. That's essentially what it was. 
Do you guys see how much of this, and we didn't scratch the surface. you guys realize I could spend six to eight weeks just going through verses talking about this very thing? The problem is, is the way we have been taught, the way we think, is that stuff doesn't exist, and it's not powerful, and it's not real, and maybe they're messing with demonic stuff, but that's it. That's not what it says. He says, don't do it. He never says that you couldn't call up the spirit of a person, what we call necromancy. He says, don't do it. That's the difference. What you need to realize is that your world around you is being influenced by people associated with this very thing, and most of us don't even recognize it. So next week will be interesting. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that is true. Lord, I just pray that you're opening our eyes, that we're willing to listen to what you have to say and to see the reality of the world around us. Not just simply seeking what we enjoy in our comfort, but getting rid of those things that maybe are influencing us in a very, very negative way. So Lord, I pray that every aspect of our life is to bring you glory. Every word we speak, Every action we take brings you glory. And Lord, I just thank you that you are opening doors of opportunity that we are willing to walk through to share the gospel each and every day. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great week. See you soon.